Well, we are continuing our series this morning about the kingdom of heaven being like a party as we as a church come to celebrate our 250th anniversary. And I wanted to start with a remarkable story. I'm afraid it's not mine, it's this man's. He's Tony Campolo. He's a very gifted American author and preacher. And he tells the story about the best preaching assignment he ever had when he was invited to Honolulu in Hawaii to speak at a church. Now, he lives on the east coast of America, so actually, although it sounds a very glamorous assignment, he said the time difference, which is something like eight hours, is absolutely incredible. It does your head in. And so he says, I woke up at sort of like 2.30 in the morning and I couldn't get back to sleep. And he said, I was ready for breakfast. So I'm prowling the streets of Honolulu at 2.30 in the morning, trying to find a cafe that's open. And he eventually finds a sort of rather greasy cafe that serves coffee and a donut. And he's quietly eating this coffee and a donut when the door bursts open and about six prostitutes come in because they've finished for the night. And he said they're noisy and they're raucous and they're loud and they're brash. And it was impossible not to overhear their conversation. And one of them says, oh, I've got my birthday tomorrow. I'm going to be 39. And the others rather unkindly say, oh, well, so what? You're asking for gifts, are you? Or do you want us to throw a party for you? And this lady, whose name is Agnes, says, do you know, I've never had a birthday party. You are so unkind to me. I've never had a birthday party in my life. Well, when the prostitutes go... Uh, Tony Campolo says to the rather overweight owner of this cafe, maybe, maybe, Harry, we could do something for this lady. Maybe we could arrange a birthday party for her. And Harry, the owner, is quite enthusiastic about this. And he says, yeah, I'll make the cake. I'll look after the cake. And his wife says, I'll do the food. So at 2.30 the following morning... Tony Campolo's also in the same cafe, but this time it's very different because it's packed out with every prostitute in Honolulu who, who Harry's wife has invited. And at three o'clock on the dot, Agnes comes in. She's completely overwhelmed, especially when people start to sing happy birthday to her. This has never happened before. So she's a bit tearful, and then she's very tearful, and then she can't stand up, and she has to sit down. And it gets even worse when Harry arrives with this cake with candles on it. And he says, come on, Agnes, blow out the candles. And she can't do it because she's so emotional and crying. So he does it for her, and he gives her a knife, and he says, cut the cake. And she says... I hope you don't mind, but I don't want to cut the cake. I just want to take it home to my mum, who lives next door. And with that, she picks up the cake, as Tony Campolo says, rather like the Holy Grail, <laughs> and walks out with it. <laughs> and there's a complete silence. And Tony Campolo says, I know it seems strange, but it felt the right thing to do. I said, shall we pray? <laughs> and he prays for Agnes, for her life, for her livelihood, and that she'll come to know the Lord Jesus as her personal saviour. And Harry, the owner, says, oh, Tony, I didn't know you were a preacher. What kind of church do you preach in? And Tony Campolo says, you know, just sometimes you find exactly the right words to say. He said, I preach in the kind of church 
that organises birthday parties for prostitutes at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And Harry says, nah, there aren't any churches like that. Because if there were, I might even go to one myself. (laughs) Well, it's a great story, isn't it? But it's not necessarily our consistent experience of church or Christianity. It was the late David Watson who said um, that sometimes he thought the church should be described as God's frozen people. He said, I went to one church and the atmosphere was so cold you could skate down the aisles. (laughs) I remember something to say to me. uh, I said, um, you know, they said they were so joyful as Christians. I said, yeah, well, it's pretty deep joy. In fact, it looks so deep it's buried. And that's often the case, I think. But, you know, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven in various ways. He describes it as something as tiny as a mustard seed. So tiny, so insignificant. And yet, it can grow into a tree in which birds will roost in its branches. Or, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Just a little bit of yeast that you put in bread that you're going to make. And it causes the bread to rise. In the same way, the kingdom of heaven can transform a culture and a society. You know, if you look at Britain's Christian heritage, which is very substantial, you think about the abolition of slavery or organisations like Christians Against Poverty or Bernardo's or um, the debt counselling that we do or the food banks, it's all being driven by Christians. It's all being driven by that yeast of the kingdom of heaven. But the other image that Jesus gives is that heaven is like a party. And if you don't believe me, let's read from Matthew 22. This is the New Living Translation. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready... He sent his servants to notify those who had been invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bull and fatted calf have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers, insulted them, and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn the town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honour. So go into the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought everybody they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to meet his guests, he noticed the man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for the wedding. Friend, he said, how is it that you're here uh, without wedding clothes? The man had no reply. The king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet, throw him out into outer darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. I love this story, actually. I think it's a lovely parable. It's, um, you know, the king is inviting people to his son's wedding. 
pretty important invitation, actually. Um, I had a friend of mine who was invited to a Queen's Garden party at Buckingham Palace. And he said to me, it's a bit difficult, really. He said, I've got a business meeting on that day. And, and I said, Andrew, you've been invited by the Queen of England into her presence. I don't think it's an invitation you're going to say no to. But these people said no to it. These people didn't want to go to the wedding at all. They had more important things to get on with. And worse than that, they not only refused the invitation, according to this parable, they actually murdered um, some of the messengers. How ungrateful and how terrible was that? While we're passing, incidentally, just worth noting verse 7 which says that the king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And theologians think this is an incredibly important verse, and I'll tell you why. It's obviously an allusion to the destruction of Jerusalem, which took place in AD 70. Now, we're not quite sure when Matthew's gospel was written, somewhere between AD 50 and AD 70. So some people argue that Matthew's Gospel must have been written after AD 70, or we wouldn't have this particular text, this verse 7. Other people say, no, it's a prophetic word. It's it's Jesus being prophetic about the destruction of Jerusalem, and Matthew recorded that. Or if you want to go halfway in between and stay on the fence, you could say Matthew wrote the Gospel early, a prophetic utterance from Jesus but this verse was added a little bit later. Well, you can discuss that over lunch. But while we're here on that passage, there's a powerful message, I think, for today. For those who reject Christ's invitation, for those who turn him down. And you know, we have a good scratch, Woody. That's lovely, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, because we, we live in a world where there's a lot of that going on. And I've just got some images here from people from King Jonam to Boko Haram to Hindu nationalists in India who have, you know, set their faces against Christianity. A time will come when those people will be punished. A time will come when those people will find their own Matthew 22, verse 7. We don't see it now, but this parable reminds us that one day we will. But I don't want to detract from what my sermon's really about today, which is that Jesus is throwing an incredible party and everybody is invited. I love the way uh, Matthew says, the good and the bad. So that means us, the dispossessed, the poor, the rich, the clever, the not so clever, the hesitant, the doubters. It's a party for every one of us. I get so cross when people say, taking just a European perspective, that Christianity's on the decline. Christianity is massively not on the decline. It's growing by 25% in South America. In South Korea, there are 30,000 missionaries. That's more than any other country except North America. Christianity is exploding. There are, I just want to check this, 2.5 billion Christians in the world. It's by far the biggest faith of any in the world. Don't let anybody tell you that Christianity is in decline or that there are some people who are never going to become Christians because they're not middle class and they're not white and they're not in the West. I put here two unlikely candidate pictures who became Christians. You'll perhaps know them. The first is Richard Silberbauer. He used to be a member of this congregation. I was with him when he first came to an Alpha course. 
He was critical, he was antagonistic, he was argumentative, and frankly, I thought he was either going to punch me on the nose or walk out after the first evening. I have the great privilege of seeing him and his wife make a response of faith within 10 seconds of each other at an Alpha away day. And then there's my good friend, Tony Cornfield. He was my flatmate when I was 23. He was the nicest atheist in England. I had many a conversation with him, many a persuasive evening with him, and I got absolutely nowhere. I'd given up, actually. And then, do you know what? He invited me, get that the right way around, to a Lewis Palau event on Greenwich Common. It was a youth night. We were in our 30s. It was about sex, temptation and victory, which you don't get enough of in your 30s, actually. <laughs> I thought, what an inappropriate evening. And he walked forward and made a commitment of Christ. He told me later on that he'd actually done it three weeks beforehand, but he wanted to make a public declaration. He gave up his job. He became the minister of Seven Oaks Community Church, the most unlikely convert in England. So I've given you the Alpha prayer cards. Don't dismiss people because you think they'll never become Christians. They may well be the names to write down on your prayer card and to get praying for them. And Jesus invites us to a party, much the same as we're inviting the whole community of Bessels Green to a big party too, to a great party. You know, Jesus is into parties, whether it be the story of the prodigal son, which ends with a party, the story of Zacchaeus, when Jesus says, I'd like to come to your house for a meal, or as Charlie preached last week, the story of the wedding at Cana, um, where Jesus clearly joined a wedding and had a great time. And, you know, we Christians know how to party. It was so touching, wasn't it, to hear about the young people and hear about their response. You know, it's not very cool when you're a 16 or 17-year-old to have a coffee and a donut with a year seven pupil. Aren't you proud that our young people do that? Aren't you proud that our young people, unlike some of my friends when I was young, you know, I hope don't go along to parties where the aim is to drink as much as you can till you finally throw up in the urinals, you know, great. Or to um, brag about sex or who you've had sex with or who you'd like to have sex with. Or get so drunk that eventually you end up having sex with somebody and you can't even remember who it is. I mean, that's what some of our young people are experiencing. That's what many in the, the world experience. I wouldn't call it a party at all, actually. Because if you really want to know joy and happiness, then actually you need to party with Christians. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing in just one week's time. And I want you to know, if you've already thought, I'm not sure I'm going to come, this is going to be a fabulous event on the green. Not only has Jenny rightly prayed for sunshine, so we're confident about that, but we're going to have burgers, we're going to have cakes. You should see the cakes that my wife has already cooked and baked and had promises about. There'll be teas, there'll be dog shows, there'll be um, bands, there'll be bouncy castles. It is going to be an event to be remembered Ice cream, the whole lot. And um, people will look younger at this party than they do now. Um, 
It's going to be the kind of party when you can eat as much cake as you like and not put on weight. Heaven will be like that. There'll be none of this nonsense about a moment on the lips, a month on the hips. No, in heaven it will be better than that. Uh, it will be a great time. And it angers me when people say that we Christians are, you know, just boring and irrelevant. You know, we know how to party. We know that the kingdom of heaven is like a party. You know, it's okay to be happy. It's okay to enjoy yourselves. It's okay to laugh at sermons and to have a good time. I hope that's the kind of church community we have. And I know it will happen next week. People will say, this is great. Can we, can we, um, can we you know, where do we pay? And we'll say, no, you don't have to pay. It's all right. And they'll say, well, can we make a donation? And we'll say, no, you can't make a donation. This is for you. Heaven's going to be like this. It's free. And it's special. But I know, and you know, that... You know, life doesn't always seem like a party. Um, you know, not if you're waiting for test results. Not if you've just suffered some terrible loss. Not if you, or perhaps your children, have been involved in marriage breakdown. So, you know, life's not always a party. But we know, as Christians, that we have a God, not only who cares for us, but has experienced all this sadness himself. He knows what it's like. And we also know that we live in a community, his body here on earth, which supports us and helps us. I've been one of many people from this church who's been visiting Don Beatty in hospital. He's had terrible hip pain, and he's not over it all yet. He's been in hospital for 10 weeks, folks. Don, you know, is a, is a widower. His wife died many years ago, doesn't got any children. He said to me, Rick, I have been so touched every day. Somebody from the church turns up and spends half an hour with me. You know, that's what it's like to be in a Christian community. But as I finish, I must talk about the sting in the tail of this story. It's a remarkable story, isn't it? You know, you get dragged off the street to go to a wedding. You think, oh my goodness, I've hit the jackpot. Look at all this food. Absolutely fantastic. This is where the posh people go. And here I am. And then... The host comes over to you and says, uh, why aren't you dressed properly? And before you can answer, he tells his aides to grab you and take you out. Could you imagine, folk, in Bessel's Green Baptist Church, if somebody came in and looked at all the people who weren't properly dressed like they should be for church? I mean, the place would be empty. You know, we'd all, we'd all get dragged out the way we are here, including me, your preacher. So I've always thought, I've always puzzled about this. What is going on? What is this story about? Why is this poor man who's not had the time to get into his wedding clothes, for goodness sake, why is he dragged out? Why is it such a serious dealing with, with such a small offence? Well, the answer is that if you invited someone to a wedding, you provided the clothes. So the master would have provided clothes for this man, who clearly decided not to wear them. So you come to a wedding, you take all the good stuff, you eat the food, you drink the wine, but you say, no, no, I'm not going to wear the clothes. I'll have it on my own terms, thank you very much. And what Jesus is saying is something that I think is very interesting and very uncomfortable. He's saying this, you know, we love inclusivity. We say, quite rightly, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, you are welcome here. It doesn't matter if you're a murderer or an adulterer or a sinner, or a paedophile, you are welcome here, and you are welcome in God's kingdom. Come as you are, just as I am, we sing. 
But although we come as we are, we can't stay as we are. We've got to change. We've got to be transformed. Christianity is about changing us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, when a person becomes a Christian, they become a completely new person inside. They're not the same anymore. A new life has begun. And this terrible story of the man who says, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change my clothes and I'm not going to change my nature is a warning to us that as we come to Jesus, we can't have him on our own terms. We can't cherry pick the bits we like from the gospel messages. I'll have that bit, I'll have that bit, but I don't want that and I don't want that. Because the kingdom of God is a place of love and justice and mercy and hope. It's a place where all honour the king who gave his life on a cross and who three days later rose again from the dead. And if you don't think that's for you, then you reject the kingdom because those are the kingdom values. You know, in my life, I've met a number of people who didn't quite make it becoming Christians. There was a girl who said, oh, I play badminton on Sunday mornings. I don't think I'd ever be able to get along to church. Well, there's a choice, isn't there? A man who said, I've been living with my girlfriend quite a few years now. Would I have to get married or stop that if I came to church? Well, yeah, you would, because there's a moral challenge. Or people who said, you know, well, actually, I lead a very busy life, you know, work and family. I, I don't think I'd have the time for church. You can't have God on your own terms. We all come the same way, with a bended knee. We all need to put on the wedding clothes. Well, folks, you'll be happy to know at almost 20 past 11, I am finished. So here's the summary about the passage. And I think it's a lovely passage. The kingdom of heaven is like a party. It's a time of joy and happiness and rejoicing. And it starts right here, but it's going to be even better when we meet Jesus face to face. And, um, you know, we should be people of joy in our work, in our relationships, in our activities. We should be the people who say we want Kingdom values. So it's okay to enjoy yourselves. But remember, we can't have God on our own terms. We want to be inclusive. We come as we are, but we mustn't stay as we are. Because he wants to change and transform us into a likeness of him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity next week to celebrate 250 years of worship here. And I imagine that we do it rather differently from the people who came into this building all those years ago. But the message is the same, and so are you. You've come to bless us, to bring us joy and fulfillment in our lives. But we can't have that on our own terms. So Lord, we come to you humbly, knowing that you're the cornerstone of our lives, the cornerstone of our living. Amen.